Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Greetings. Welcome to a bonus episode of the NASCAR on NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, and I am joined today by the mayor, Jeff Burton. Jeff, thanks for being here. Hey, man. Thank you. So we already had an episode of the NASCAR NBC podcast this week. Encourage everybody to check it out. Dale Jarrett was our guest. Always great insights from DJ. And we talked, of course, about all of the things that happened at Pocono Raceway. But when we have these types of momentous event weekends where you have disqualifications and drivers getting sidelined by concussions and Denny Hamlin versus Ross Chastain. I don't think we can ever have too much inside and opinion from our NASCAR and NBC analysts uh, with so many big topics going on coming out of Pocono. So Jeff had emailed me Monday morning and wanted to talk a little bit about the safety aspect coming out of Pocono. As I mentioned, we had Kurt Busch miss the race at Pocono because he was suffering from concussion-like symptoms replaced by Ty Gibbs. And Jeff had seen that I had tweeted some thoughts on that. And we'll just start with your general thoughts, Jeff, on Kurt Busch missing this race and, you know, what that might mean going forward for NASCAR. Well, clearly, number one is, you know, we hope Kurt Busch uh, recovers quickly and is never good when, uh, when one of our athletes uh, is out due to an injury. Number two is that, you know, I feel like there's times that we become immune to the fact that this sport's dangerous. And your tweet, I thought, said it really well. You know, when you strap yourself into something going this fast, when we show shots or you're, you're at the track and you see an incident and the driver gets out, you're like, oh, wow, he's good. And that's always great. But, you know, you don't go home with that person. And, you know, the same happens in every sport. You know, we see it in every sport. A football player goes down, the trainers run out, they help him to his feet. He goes to the sidelines and we, all right, he's good. He's back in four or five plays later, or he's not. And, you know, we tend to forget that, you know, these are human beings and, and those injuries uh, prolong with them and they've got to deal with those injuries. And the sport is safer than it's ever been. There's no doubt about that, but we should never forget that it is, it is an exceptionally dangerous sport. And just to riff off some of those tweets that I had, I think a way that racing is unique from other sports is that racing can be impacted by literally thousands of parts and pieces that are moving at extremely violent rates of speed. You know, you're talking thousands of revolutions per minute in those engines. And there are also literally thousands of people who significantly influence the outcomes of what happens with these cars, where it's engineers or team members, obviously the drivers and crew chiefs set up the car and drive the car, but there are so many other people who impact that. And it's so different from an NBA game where there are 10 players on a court or a football game with 22 players on a field. They're pretty much the people who govern those events. They have autonomy, whatever happens. Whereas drivers, when they're on track, 
That's to me, what's different about racing, Jeff, is just that there are so many things they control the steering wheel, but there are so many other things beyond their control when they're racing at 200 miles an hour. Well, it really is. And, you know, the only way to describe it is what if you gave uh, every NFL team the ball and they could bring their own ball to the game. If you gave every major league baseball team their own baseball, if you gave a bat, the NBA teams their own basketball, you let them work on that, that ball or those bats as they do in baseball uh, to a certain degree of rules, a certain specification, it would be chaos because everybody would be bringing their own ball and everybody would, would build that ball to suit their own needs. <laughs> They'd have to govern that. And that would completely change the way those games are played and the, and the way that the sport is governed. And, and then, you know, within a football, I would be willing to say that it has a mere fraction of the amount of moving parts that a race car has, to your point. It makes it very complicated for NASCAR to police the sport in regard to competition, police the sport in regard to safety, develop all those things, be ahead of the teams, uh, be ahead of safety advances. It's a major challenge. Now, it's their responsibility because that's, you know, that is what they've signed up to do. But at the same token, it is a massive uh, responsibility. It's a massive job. They need the, the assistance and, and the cooperation with the teams. Uh, with the manufacturers. You know, Nate, I said years ago, and I got in all kinds of trouble for it. I'm still confused today why I got in trouble for saying that safety is a community issue. It is an issue that we collectively work together with. It's not just on NASCAR's shoulders. It's the drivers. It's the owners. It's the manufacturers. It's the sponsors, because sponsors have a tremendous amount of technology available to them. It's everybody. And that's how it has to be approached. And yeah, I don't know why I got in trouble for that, but, but for some reason that, that offended some people, uh, still confused. (laughs) It shows you, I guess what it shows you is that, you know, some topics are difficult to have. Fortunately, the game has changed in regard to that. It's no longer taboo to talk about safety. It's no longer politically incorrect or not a sign of manhood to talk about safety. At one point, if you were talking about safety, you weren't tough enough. You weren't man enough. You weren't, you know, you were scared you're going to get hurt. All that bullshit that you heard. And, you know, thankfully, we've gotten past that. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And DJ and I talked about this, that obviously the, the big sea change was the 2001 Daytona 500, where Dale Hurt was killed on the last lap in a crash. And, you know, within two years of that, NASCAR has spent more than $10 million to build the new R&D center, what was then the new R&D center in Concord, North Carolina, and really dedicated a lot of time, money, manpower to really upgrading the safety. It really lit a fire, not just under NASCAR, but under the entire industry. But I was going back, Jeff, and looking at something that you had said, I'll never forget this. At Charlotte Motor Speedway, October 2002 is actually the first race I ever covered at Charlotte. That weekend, there was an ARCA driver, Eric Martin, who was killed in an ARCA practice at Charlotte. And you were in the media center the next day and being asked about safety, as you always are. And you said, safety is a moving target. You're never going to hit it. And that was October 2002. And here we are nearly 20 years later. That still applies and always will apply, right? It does. And, and you know, going back to the date Earnhardt was killed, you know, prior to that, you know, Adam Petty was killed. Uh, Kenny Irwin was killed. Roper was killed. Like we, we had, you know, we had some young drivers that, that, uh, that died. And um, that really started it. Earnhardt's death was the thing that like 
was the final. Okay. But the momentum was, had already started building because anybody looking at those things thinking, well, that's just part of racing. Like I just didn't get that because it doesn't have to be like you can build safer race cars and safer racetracks and not, not hurt the quality of the racing. Like, there's a way to do both. So anyway, it, it, yes, safety is a moving target. If you think you've gotten there, then you're not working hard enough. It is a, a bit of a thankless job because so many things happen that are preventative, which is a good thing that something doesn't happen, but you don't, but the people working on it don't get credit for it because it didn't happen, right? It, it wasn't, Hey, we had this problem and now we don't have it anymore. It's just after a certain amount of time, that's no longer an issue. <laughs> and people yeah. forget about all the work that went into it. Uh, but that's a day-to-day basis. How do we as quickly as possible implement changes from the data that's been recorded so far with the new car? And because now you have real life data, you have real life driver interaction with the car through Rex. You have so much more than you did before. Everything before was simulated and then crash tested, tons of crash testing. But now you have real world information and implementing changes as soon as possible uh, has to be the initiative. I'm comfortable that it is. The key is how do we do it as quickly as possible and make sure we're doing the right thing. That's what's always difficult, Nate, is that it's really easy to know when it's time to do something different. The more difficult part to know is what do you do? Yeah. And, and there is no magic bullet, right? There's been so much work put into it already. There is no just, oh, well, we need to do this. Like, it, or that would have already been done. And I want to get into a little bit of next gen, but first I just want to go back real quick, Jeff, to what you were saying about like how much things have changed. It's vastly different when you think about what you were just talking about there, the collaboration between NASCAR drivers, teams, manufacturers. I can remember in 2000 that it almost seemed prior to Dale Earnhardt's death, it almost seemed like it was contentious around the time of Adam Petty's death, Kenny Irwin Jr.'s death, where drivers, and namely you, but some other guys were outspoken as well. Gordon was outspoken about like, hey, we need to fix this. And NASCAR was was very slow, I think it's fair to say, to respond at that point. They were a lot more cautious. So I guess I'm curious, did you ever worry or were you ever concerned that it would get to this point? Did you have a feeling that eventually it would reach a point where everybody would just be on the same page and be working and say, hey, safety should be paramount. Because at that point, NASCAR had been in existence for more than 50 years, and that was still the culture and the attitude. Did you have optimism it would get to this point? Um, you know, I don't even remember thinking like that. I just remember thinking we, we, we needed to do it better. And when you said there was, it was contentious, it was, wasn't just contentious between the drivers and NASCAR. It was contentious between drivers. Yeah. There were drivers that did not want to talk about it. There were drivers that did not want to have conversations about it. They didn't want to know. They were okay with how it had always been. And I think that that's, I think that's normal. You know, we see it all over, right? We see things change in life where you think something's normal. You look back 30 years from then and you're like, what, what the hell were we doing? It's hard to change a, a mindset. It's hard to change a culture and doing it you know, there's going to be some, some feathers ruffled. There's going to be some disagreements, some arguments. And there was, I mean, it was, it was contentious. It's a great way to say it. And uh, I didn't know what would happen. You know, I knew that it needed to be better to be blunt with you to continue doing the same thing would have been completely disrespectful to anyone that passed away driving a race car. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) No one wanted to see that happen. No one, there was, we were all in it together. We were all in it 
together to fix it. And I mean, fans didn't want that. Families sure as hell didn't want. I mean, nobody, you, you knew when you signed up to drive a race car, it wasn't the safest thing in the world, but it should be as safe as possible. Yeah. And it wasn't. And so a lot of people, you know, a lot of people worked really hard to move the ball. And ultimately, ultimately, NASCAR went from being the organization that recommended that you wear a helmet to being an organization that I would contend is quite possibly the leader in the industry in regard to safety. If you look at what happens behind the scenes, and NASCAR has been unbelievable to work with in the last year. We don't publicly talk about the Drivers' Council very much, and we're going to keep it that way. But I have to say that NASCAR has been unbelievably open, straightforward, has let me be involved in conversations that are sensitive. And they, trust me, they are committed and dedicated. I have no doubt about that. I have zero doubt that NASCAR is committed and the industry is committed to making it better. And, and again, I'm not going to talk about details, but there's a lot of people in this industry that are really smart and working on a lot of really cool, innovative things in regard to safety. And that's what it takes. It takes an idea from a driver, an idea from a crew chief, an idea from a sponsor, an idea from, and then, okay, how do we collectively do it? And there's a lot of that going on. And, yeah. and it, can't, it never can happen soon enough. Keeping that intensity up is hard because imagine every day going to sleep knowing your job is, or your group of people's job is the safety of the drivers, you would probably view the race a little differently, you know, and, and there's a tremendous amount of responsibility and the people that are, have signed up for that, honestly, take that very, very seriously. And for that, I have no doubt. And of course you take that very, very seriously as well, Jeff, as you mentioned, I mean, you're at the nexus of a lot of those conversations now because of the formation of the Drivers Advisory Council at the start of this season has a board of directors that includes several active cup drivers. Now you also have Kyle Petty helping with you on that as well. I understand the sensitivity here. I understand that's privileged information, confidential. I don't want to get into that or put you in a bad spot, but we did talk yesterday on the podcast with DJ about the fact that the next gen, we have seen drivers saying that there are heavier impacts. Dustin Long did a story on NBCSports.com in which Joey Logano said he'd never hit harder than the Coca-Cola 600 in May. Bubba Wallace said his Atlanta hit in March was one of the worst he's had. Christopher Bell talked about having headaches after wrecks with this next-gen car. And Dustin also talked to John Padalak at NASCAR, and he said the data recorders are showing that the crashes still are similar to last year. So it seems like there's a little bit of disconnect from what we're seeing in terms of the G loads uh, in these crash impacts versus what drivers are feeling and certainly what Kurt felt after that Pocono crash uh, that caused him to miss that race. So uh, we talked a little bit about with this with DJ, Jeff, in which DJ thinks that can't change the construction of the car, but they should be looking at maybe head supports, headrests. What can you tell us about what you know and what you think might be the direction here as NASCAR addresses these heavy impacts? Well, I think, I think the main thing is that now, again, we have live data. We have real, we have real data that we can look at uh, real impacts and taking that information and saying, okay, where was an opportunity to improve uh, what a driver felt? And then also uh, the ability for us to better understand what it is that the car feels versus what it is that the driver feels. Because I think John in that article uh, mentioned that there's a little bit of they're really not understanding, you know, what the driver actually feels versus what the car feels. And that information is really important. Having said all that, just what's most important at this point 
is the willingness by everyone to look and say, okay, how can we do it better? And then through that, we will develop answers. There is uh, one of the most important design changes in our car's history. The Hans gets a tremendous amount of conversation, which it should, but the full head surround in combination with the Hans, really that whole package is collect working collectively is massive in helping with head trauma, with neck trauma, with all sorts of things. So uh, as DJ said, clearly the area around your head, being able to develop foam technology, different foam technology, those things, there's some, there's an opportunity there as we've always known, there's nothing breaking about that. And there's, there's been a tremendous amount of effort to uh, require drivers to uh, have a certain type of foam to require drivers to have minimum head movement within that foam. Because obviously the tighter you can have your helmet, the less your head can build speed. There's a lot of work that's been put into that, but you know, 30 years from now, we can look, hopefully we can look back on it and say, wow, we were doing the best we knew, but we know a lot more now, right? And that technology will continue to improve as, as well as all of it. So as with the safer barriers that have done uh, on racetracks, how we, can we continue to soften blows to drivers? And that can be with seat technology, that can be with energy absorbing uh, technology in regard to the, to the chassis of the car, regard, regard to the components of the car. All of those things can be looked at, and including how do we improve the safer barriers? You know, how can we do that? Like, you know, we got the safer barriers was a massive change and a massive expense. You know, that technology was awesome, but it was massively expensive. I mean, <laughs> to implement that. Yeah. And so, you know, how can we take that to the next level and implement those changes as soon as possible? So all that is being looked at. And, and I'm not saying anything that's not, that's confidential. I mean, I think that's common sense is to say that every component of the car is an opportunity to create a performance advantage, a crash advantage, technological advantage, all that stuff is being looked at constantly. And then when you have a specific issue, then you start looking more specifically at, okay, what happened with this? And that's, that's so important because so many assumptions can be made by watching a replay on television. You really got to go back and, and implement all the technology that NASCAR has put into the race cars and then really understand what happened and then go to work. I just think it's important for everybody to understand that this is a continuing effort. And as in everything, and of course, driver safety is a different thing. As in everything, uh, we learn as we go. We hope to be ahead of it. We hope to be as proactive to be able to prevent injuries, you know, but driving a race car is not a, a safe endeavor. We just got to have the willingness, which we do, uh, to just always be moving the ball to make things better. And, and again, I have no doubt, absolutely no doubt of the commitment to put drivers safety first. The safer barrier was introduced at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in 2002, which is where NASCAR and IndyCar, by the way, will be racing this weekend. So that was 20 years ago. Is it essentially maybe time for like a next generation safer barrier? Because there hasn't been a lot of change or development with the safer barrier. It's game changing in racing, but since then they haven't done a lot with it, right? Maybe it's time for another iteration. Is that? Well, well no, I'm just saying there's an opportunity. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that that is where we need to point our focus. I'm just saying that we have this incredible amount of opportunities to improve safety, right? Yeah. Yeah. And where are they? And so I'm not saying the safer barriers are wrong. I'm just saying that that is part of the process, as is everything that we work on. And so we have to constantly be looking at everything. Like we should, we can't 
we can't just shut a door and say, okay, that's the best we can do because that is the best we could do at the time. Right. But that's not necessarily the best we could do if we worked harder at it. And that goes for everything. So I'm not pointing at a safer barrier saying, no. Hey, we got to no. make that better. I'm just saying that there's always, there's always an opportunity. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you said that, it just sort of triggered in my head. I mean, I did a lot of work, a lot of reporting, talking to Dr. Dean Sicking when they introduced that. Again, it's been game changing, but it has been 20 years and you're always yeah. trying to improve. And it's, well, exactly. That, it's, a, it's a great, it's a, that is a great perspective because we have our sport. We're blessed to have a tremendous amount of high energy, highly motivated, highly committed people. And when you unleash that, you can make a lot of cool stuff happen. And this sport, although, you know, most of it is centers around competition. Wow. We got some incredible people. We have some incredible people with some incredible skills. And it's crazy what the power, when we all work together, the power that that creates. And, and uh, fortunately, we now are in a position in this sport where we don't have to start that, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of getting everybody lined up on an, on an issue. It's not that you got to like build that coalition. It's, it's yeah. just defining a, an issue and everybody will go to work. I've got one more for you, Jeff. You, you know, you mentioned that racing cars is just inherently unsafe in some ways. And that I'm going to go back to that tweet that I put out yesterday. I wrote that a saying goes that things happen at speed. And that is pretty much short for when you take tricked out vehicles, whether it be NASCAR or IndyCar that weigh a few thousand pounds and you ram them in the walls at 200 miles an hour, you never know what kind of outcomes you're going to get. I don't remember the first time I heard that things happen at speed, but I will never forget the quote I remember most that I associate with that. Greg Moore, two days before he was killed at California Speedway, was quoted as saying, the cars are as safe as they can be. It's just that you'll never be able to make race cars completely safe. Things happen at speed. And two days later, sadly, we lost Greg Moore in an accident in the early laps of the California Speedway. So you're nine years removed from driving, Jeff. So maybe you have a different perspective on it. But when you think about drivers and what they do and safety, I know you've talked about this a little bit already, but that quote to me is eerie, but it's also tremendously insightful as well. And I think it speaks to the driver mentality. I'm wondering if you could shed a little more light on that. Well, look, drivers um, are unique. I know there's a lot of people that think they could do it, but until you have been exposed to some things that drivers get exposed to, you don't really know. And I can tell you there is, I get paid to talk for a living and there's no way I can describe what it feels like to hit a wall at 190 miles an hour. I can't describe it. I can't put words to it. Um, and the, and the way you feel after I, I can't put words to it. And Dale jr. And I have talked about this. Like he, we, we have no way of describing that. And then every wreck's different. I mean, go back and think about, you know, Pocono, Jeb Burton's wreck on the front straightaway. I mean, he had a, I mean, he's my nephew, but he had a split second to make a decision. Do I go right? Do I go left? If he goes left, he potentially hits the end of pit wall. If he goes right, he potentially hits the side of a car. Those are um, instinctive moves, right? And it happens so quickly that his, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not real smart, but he clearly his brain told his hands what to do and his feet what to do. 
but it wasn't a thought out process. You don't have this ability to do, hmm, let me see. If I hang a left, this could happen. Like, right. you don't get to show it in slow motion. You have to make a split decision, boom. And then the consequences happen after that decision. And he made a decision that I ultimately thought was the right decision, and he ends up on his roof for it. So that's what being a race car driver is. You can't strap yourself in a race car worried about getting hurt. You can't strap yourself in a race car worried, is this, you know, is you can't do it. You can't be successful doing it. So you have to literally pound in the wall, like Bubba Wallace said, and, and some other drivers have said that they've done, that I've done, that every driver has done, and then be willing to walk away and come back and do it again. There's a lot of people that can't, there's, the majority of people in this world can't do that. They would not drive into turn one fully committed the way they did pre-rec. They wouldn't do it. It takes a special kind of person. It takes a different kind of person. And those people deserve for us that aren't doing it, the respect that they deserve. They deserve every opportunity for it to be as safe as possible. And we have to be committed to that. They've earned it. They've earned it. And, and they've earned it by being willing to put themselves out there and then, you know, us having the ability to, to enjoy it as race fans, they've earned it. Like I said before, the great thing about where we are today is that the sport's committed to it. The sport in the industry is committed to providing them the best opportunity to be safe and recognizing when there's a problem and addressing it. And those things never happen as quickly as we want them to happen. They just, it's almost impossible for them to happen as quickly as they happen, as we want them to. Uh, but we have to push hard. We have to stay committed. Safety is never reached. It's just, can we, are we as safe as we possibly know how to be right now? And there's expense involved. I mean, it just is. It's not, this stuff's not free. I mean, the work that's going on is, I mean, it's, it's huge, huge from a cost standpoint. Uh, it's a major commitment. And uh, we have to find a way to keep that commitment going. I can tell you that when Richmond installed the Safer Barrier, that's a three-quarter mile track in 2003, the cost was almost a million dollars. And that was 2003. You can and, 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 Nate, it is now. and Nate, it did not increase revenue to them by one penny. Right. Right. And so, yes, it's easy to take a step back and say, well, they just have to do it. It's a whole other thing to say, well, they are running a business. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and yes, fundamentally, they have to do it, but they also have to make enough money to pay their salaries and to pay the expense of operating the racetrack. We can't be immune to the fact that Joe Gibbs Racing has to be able to run his race team uh, at a profit. If he can't run his race team at his profit, he can't provide all those jobs. He can't provide an opportunity for people to drive. So finance, finances do matter. We can't implement so many changes that it runs everybody out of business. So it's a balance, right? It's always a balance between how do we do this? How do we do it as quickly as possible? How do we do it so that it's affordable, right? It has to be factored in. And Joe Gibbs will do, I'm just using him as an example, he'll do anything in his power to make his race cars as safe as he can for his drivers. He will do anything in his power to do that. I know he will, as all the owners will. We have to help them make those decisions, and we have to make those decisions so that they are, they're truly practical and implementable. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that come into it, but one of the most important is that the stars matter. And 
I think that we got a reminder of that this past weekend, not just in NASCAR, but in IndyCar too. Uh, Jeff, really, really value your perspective, your insight, your passion for this. I know you're passionate about racing, but I know this has always been a topic for two decades plus that you've been passionate about. And I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your opinion about it. Yeah, buddy. Our thanks again to the mayor, Jeff Burton, for joining us and sharing so much insight and perspective on safety. There are few people in the NASCAR industry that have had as big a seat at the table as he has had on those discussions for literally 30 years. And again, this grew out of a text message that he sent me Monday. He obviously had a lot of things he wanted to discuss, and I'm so glad we can give him that platform with the NASCAR and NBC podcast to talk through all of those things, because I think there is a lot of really important information that he disclosed and he can't tell us everything about what's happening because again, he's part of that driver advisory council that has some very sensitive information and issues that they're working through. But I think he gave you outstanding historical perspective on how far safety has come, where it stands now and where it may be headed in the future with his thoughts on the safer barrier. You know, as I talked about, the safer barrier has been a game changing invention in not just NASCAR, but auto racing in general. But we are 20 years into the existence of the safer barrier. And I think it's natural to ask what would the next iteration look like? What sort of modifications could be made to enhance the unbelievable safety results that it's already delivered? Because as Jeff Burton has said, and as he's been preaching for more than 20 years, as I said in the podcast, I can vividly remember him saying in interviews in the early 2000s, safety is a moving target. You're never going to hit it. You always have to strive for improvement, and it's really kind of surreal for me, and I feel very lucky to be able to do this podcast and work with people like Jeff Burton as NASCAR and NBC analysts who can provide such perspective. After covering them 20 years ago, I really enjoyed interviewing Jeff Burton because he always had such great big picture perspective insights, and now being able to do this on this podcast, I feel very, very fortunate. So thanks again to Jeff for joining us and giving us so much of his time. As I mentioned, all of the broadcast coverage of IndyCar and NASCAR races this weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, all of it is on NBC. Saturday and Sunday, Saturday noon to 6 p.m. Eastern on NBC, you've got the IndyCar series and the Xfinity series back-to-back. And then Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern pre-race, you've got the Cup series making its second consecutive year at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, all of that on NBC. So be sure to tune in and check that out this weekend. And go to NBCSports.com slash motors, NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for all of the NASCAR and IndyCar coverage on site will be myself, Dustin Long, and Mike Embry writing stories for NBCSports.com on all of those topics. So be sure to go to the website to check out all of the coverage from on the ground. If you have any feedback for me on the NASCAR NBC podcast, you can send it to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.